Davis County residents and government officials are in the process of cleaning up and assessing the damage from the worst flooding this area has experienced in more than 20 years. We're going to explore how the flooding affected the county and what we learned from it. Stay with us. This is Inquire. From the Messenger Inquire, I'm Don Wilkins, and joining me are government reporter Jacob Dick and city government reporter Austin Ramsey. And as I said in the intro, this was the worst flooding in 21 years or since 1997. Much of the flooding came from the Ohio River, swelling over its banks into low-lying areas such as the farmland bottoms. According to the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, the Ohio River rose to 47.3 feet, making it the sixth highest level since 1900. And since we're comparing, 1997 was the fifth worst at 49 feet. But of course, the king of floods is still 1937, when the Ohio River swelled to 54.8 feet, more than 13 feet above flood stage. It occurred in late January when the region was inundated with 17.59 inches of rainfall in just a month's time. So fast forward 81 years, and here we are with another major flood that caused havoc not only in Davis County, but all along the Ohio River. Jacob Dick and Austin Ramsey have been covering different aspects of the flooding for the Mystery Inquirer, and so let me start with Jacob. Talk about how the flooding affected county residents and what kinds of damage resulted from the flooding. I think the the best way to start talking about that would just be talking about the, the number of roads that have been closed, because I think a, a lot of what you hear from residents is how much um, the flood has kind of isolated certain parts of the county. So on um, February 28th, whenever the, the county first declared an emergency, there were 53 county roads and uh, sections of about five state highways that were closed in Davis County at that time. Um, that number rose exponentially uh, since since that day. There was a running list of um, 15 to 20 state highways that were underwater, and um, at, th- at this point I wouldn't uh, even want to guess about how many county roads that uh, had become underwater at that point. And there was even a, a culvert that had been washed out. It was completely destroyed on one of the highways. And uh, the community of Stanley in the northwestern part of Davis County um, was probably the largest continual community that was uh, isolated, and it became an island between the Ohio and Green Rivers. Um, it was blocked from the Henderson and Davis County side. When I checked in Friday of last week, the water was still too high in Stanley to um, determine the damage at that point. But uh, if the damage in southeast Davis County was any indication, we're probably going to see a lot of homes damaged and a lot of roads damaged. The uh, county engineer, Mark Brasher, told me that there was sections of the road where the, the water had came in and it kind of slowed away the uh, surface pavement, often sheets. And so parts of roads will have to be completely rebuilt from the roadbed. So I know a county emergency management agency director, Andy Ball, was a busy guy during this time. Uh, what was his role and what kind of emergency response does the county give in this situation? Um, the EMA director, he's in charge of, of basically implementing this plan that him and the other agencies and county officials have probably went over time and time again. These plans are set in place and, and change a little bit um, as time goes on and as more resources become available, but they're pretty streamlined um, about how to handle certain situations like floods. So directly, the EMA would be in charge of organizing efforts like um, distributing sandbags and 
um, advertising when shelters are open and um, deploying damage assessors into the county who uh, would check, you know, stream uh, stream beds and ditches and things like that. Um, indirectly, they would uh, communicate with law enforcement and the volunteer fire and, and um, paid fire departments and the ambulance service to make sure that they know the best information and how to, to do their jobs in situations like this. And I think um, probably the best example of that is what happened in Stanley. The uh, Stanley Fire Department chief was telling me that um, on, I think, around Friday of the initial flood, uh, an ambulance had to make a run into Stanley through the water that was still passable, but by the next day, um, no cars could get by. So they coordinated amongst themselves with the county fire department to send boats out that way to help people evacuate. But um, the EMA's office helped them get a high-axle vehicle from the National Guard on that Monday. So they coordinated through that office in order to make runs into the community. What kind of monetary estimates uh, are being placed on this natural disaster, whether from public infrastructure or private property? What I've been hearing is that it's probably still too soon to count up all of the private costs and homes damaged because uh, a lot of them are still underwater at this point. Damage assessors are still trying to get to them. We'll probably be getting the numbers of uh, how much damage was caused privately um, combined with the city and county infrastructure next week. But the initial number that I heard was that uh, county and city infrastructure combined would probably be upwards of $60,000. And uh, that number could rise a lot more whenever the state estimates come out because um, culverts aren't cheap to rebuild. Yeah, that does sound awfully low. And whenever you start getting into the private aspect of it, I wouldn't be surprised if it gets into the millions before it's all said and done. So now let me turn our attention to Austin here, who's been waiting patiently. Now, Austin, you've been covering this from a more technical aspect. Uh, So what happens with this kind of flooding and where are the more flood prone areas? Well, Don, first of all, thanks for having me on the show. Uh, A lot of people understand flooding in the most basic of ways, which is it rains a lot, the rain doesn't have anywhere to go, and the waters begin to rise. But it's important to understand, I think, that our region sits in a number of very flood-prone river basins. That includes, of course, the Ohio River flood basin, the Green River flood basin, and then at a more hyper-local standpoint, the Panther and Yellow Creek flood basins. I don't want to get too much into a geography lesson, but I think that most people understand that water is always going to be susceptible to gravity, and wherever the the ground points downward, in some respect, the water is going to flow that direction. So what we had here was a period of extremely heavy rainfall for a sustained period of time. And that's important because you have in the ground a point at which uh, meteorologists understand as the saturation point. And it's at that point that the groundwater, the the water um, beneath the Earth's surface, can no longer act as a sponge. Uh, so that when it rains, water is seeping through the Earth's surface and collecting in underwater basins. At that point, any of the rain that we have is going to immediately take its gravitational force on the surface and and begin flowing to uh, the nearest basin area. You have groundwater slowly making its way to those rivers, and then you have top water 
quickly making its way to those rivers. And those rivers, which, of course, the Green flows into the Ohio, the Ohio flows into the Mississippi, and the Mississippi flows into the Gulf of Mexico, there's a point at which no matter what the flow rate or capacity rate of those rivers are, they cannot take that huge capacity that's coming at them and they begin to cusp their banks. And what meteorologists call that uh, are headwaters. Those are waters that are coming from the direction uh, that the flow rate is coming at. Westward, in the case of the Ohio River, or somewhat northeaster or northwesterly uh, for the Green River, you have headwaters, uh, the actual flowing water, no longer moving toward the Mississippi River, but rather moving toward homes, farmland, communities, uh, that, that are along the banks of the river. And, and I, I know Jacob was talking a lot about Stanley. Stanley is one of those communities in Davis County that kind of sits on a peninsula. If you look at the Green River and the Ohio River, it's the point at which those two rivers are the closest um, other than at the mouth of the Green River, that is. And so when headwaters from both of those rivers start backing up and moving instead of toward the direction of their mouths, toward communities and land, you have significant flooding. And so if if I had to pick the two areas in Davis County where you're going to see the most damage from flooding and just the worst flooding, it's going to be the area of Stanley, uh, which is a really important area. And I, I don't know if Jacob touched on this, but, you know, we have a, a, a major uh, highway, a major U.S. highway, a federal highway, U.S. 60, that goes right through Stanley and a number of uh, manufacturing bases rely on that, that, that federal highway. And then you have a much smaller community called Pettit. Uh, Pettit uh, sits on US 431 south of Owensboro, uh, and its floodwaters are not affected necessarily by the Ohio River, except for the fact that as the Ohio River backs up, it backs up the Green River. And as the Green River backs up, that's going to go ahead and back up uh, Panther Creek. And Panther Creek, which um, I would say 99% of the time looks like a, a small stream south of Owensboro, turns into quite literally an enormous lake. And I think that anyone who's lived here for an extended period of time has, has seen those points at which, you know, you're driving in South Frederick and it looks like Owensboro is sitting on an island, uh, and that's Panther Creek, the headwaters from that river backing up and turning into backwater. And all of the homes down there, all of the homes south of Owensboro, which we, we commonly refer to as Pettit, were quite literally underwater for an extended period of time. One of the main differences from the 1997 flood to this recent 2018 flood was that the city of Owensboro wasn't as affected nearly as bad I remember South Frederica area around the mall and the movie theater being literally underwater. Uh, you had to have a boat if you wanted to go see a movie back then. In this case, you had to live out in the county or go down to the riverfront to see how bad the flooding was. So I guess my question, uh, Austin, is so what changed in these 20 years and what did we learn from this flood? Well, Don, I think it's important for newspapers to take a moment sometimes and applaud government for doing things that, that really affect our readers in a positive way. And, uh, and this just happens to be one of those cases. Since about 2011, a little bit before and quite a bit afterward, 
the city of Owensboro and Davis County Fiscal Court have partnered on a number of pretty enormous flood basin projects and drainage basin projects that were aimed at reducing the effect that these kinds of flooding situations have on high population areas. Now, it's important to understand that Davis Fiscal Court has at one time paid for a study to see what it would take to remove communities like Pettit from the flood basin. And Jacob, if I am not mistaken, that was in the hundreds of millions of dollars? Hundreds of millions of dollars, yeah. So that may not be <laughs> that may not be realistic for a small county. But there were projects that could keep floodwaters off of major highways to a degree, that could keep floodwaters out of subdivisions, and that could keep floodwaters away from our large commercial centers. And like you said, Don, one of the largest commercial centers uh, as recently as 2011 was South Redrica. That's where our movie theater is, is. That's where our largest shopping centers are. And I would invite any of our listeners or readers to hop in their cars, hop on a bus, and drive down J.R. Miller Boulevard to where it turns into Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. And just take that loop around the south side of Owensboro. And what you'll notice is that that road, that city road, is raised quite a bit, significantly raised from the farmland on both sides of it. And that's really important because when the floodwaters begin to rise this time, they were blocked from accessing, like you said, the movie theater. They were blocked from accessing, say, Lowe's or uh, other large um, anchor stores on our south side because of that. And that is just a small example of a series of huge drainage basin projects that the county and the city partnered on to ensure that when the flood water comes, it has somewhere to go other than people's homes. In 97, not only were those roads blocked, but I mean, the water was actually literally in the movie theaters, in Target, and, and a lot of those retail stores there, you know, the, the parking lots were, were many lakes. And this time around, I mean, you could go there just fine, and and you wouldn't have noticed any difference from anywhere else in the city. So it was just an impressive sight. Whenever you know, I I lived here, you know, I lived here all my life, and so to see the the drastic change from then to now was impressive. And a lot of that work, like you said, was from the basins that have been built around the entire county within the city, but also the work uh, the city has done with RWRA and and separating the combined sewer systems having a lot of that, that water being drained uh, more effectively, I guess, and then also preventing a lot of that sewer from getting into the river, uh, and, and, they, and they're doing a, just a good job. All that combined was the difference to me, at least in this particular instance. Yeah, absolutely, Don. Um, it's important to note that in the city of Owensboro, uh, the Regional Water Resource Agency plays a significant role, not only when it comes to handling our wastewater, but when it comes to handling our stormwater. And unfortunately, within the metro area of Owensboro, a lot of wastewater and stormwater is combined. And that's what experts refer to as a combined system. And whatever 
a public agency can do to limit the amount of stormwater that mixes with wastewater is important, not only because, as I hope many people know, during significant flooding events like this, you know, wastewater is, to a small degree, making its way into the actual river. But outside that, when you don't have stormwater and wastewater uh, mixing, stormwater has a more efficient way of draining. You want stormwater to make it to the river. You want wastewater to make it to the uh, wastewater treatment plants, and uh, never the the two shall meet, uh, hopefully. And so, yeah, a lot of the work that RWRA has been doing, uh, both alone and in in partnership uh, with with uh, other government agencies, has been aimed at making sure that they don't touch unless they absolutely have to. And I might want to also mention to not just South Africa, but there was a time 20, 30 years ago that there were just certain areas of the city you couldn't even drive down, such as Parish, down by Owensboro Catholic High and Carter Road, uh, those areas as well. And all along Frederica, uh, and now, unless it's just torrential rain, you're not going to see those roads flood like, like back in those days. And so I applied you know, RWRA in the city and uh, and what they've done to reduce the flooding inside the city limits. So, Jacob, finally, I want you to talk about the cleanup efforts that are now happening because, you know, after the waters have receded here, you know, all this trash and driftwood has been left behind. So what's going on as far as the cleanup efforts? Yeah, uh, thanks, Don. Well, not only is there a lot of trash and, and driftwood kind of making things seem unsightly, but there's been a lot of um, properties and farms that have been damaged and uh, over the weekend, the EMA activated the first volunteer reception center uh, in the county at the First Presbyterian Church on Griffith Avenue. And um, that had been on the books for a while. They, they had, uh, that church had volunteered, and they actually have a disaster preparedness committee. Um, when I talked to one of the members of that committee, she said that after the 2001 tornado that went through Evansville and parts of Davis County, um, they had seen maybe some, some gaps and some of the challenges of organizing volunteers. So they wanted to step up and become a, a center to help in efforts. And so um, volunteers are going there and they're being briefed on um, safety and the best way to uh, clean up properties and help people. And uh, property owners are sending in requests to EMA and those volunteers are being routed to different properties all over the county. Last Friday, I, I met a property owner named uh, Debbie O'Hara, a really sweet and welcoming lady with a wonderful Wisconsin accent, and um, volunteers helped clean up her, her farm and her damaged fence row so she could move um, some of her animals back that her grandchildren show at the county fairs. So um, that was uh, a wonderful end to, I think, what has been a stressful time for people in the county. And that will wrap up our show for this week. I want to thank Mr. Inquirer reporters Jacob Dick and Austin Ramsey for joining me. To send us questions or to provide feedback, email us at newscast at messenger-inquirer.com. And remember, you can find us on the Mr. Inquirer's website, its mobile app, and iTunes, where you can subscribe to Inquirer. Until next time, I'm Don Wilkinson. Good day for Inquirer.